what a joy it can be when we experience that. The Gospel of John is arranged in several, uh, in, around, I should say, seven miracles that John calls Christ's glory. This encounter with Nicodemus is not listed as one of the miracles, but he does not accept Christ's offer of eternal life in the context of chapter 3. But there's a, a majestic promise. To be born again qualifies us to me as a great miracle. It is great because of the magnitude of the gift and the fact that this miracle is still happening today. And you and I can be a part of that when we receive Christ's offer of eternal life. The thing I want you to see in verses 1 and 2 is that we see an encounter, an inquiring man. And this encounter with Jesus reads like a three-act play. It begins with a description of an inquiring man named Nicodemus. Act 2 consists of, a, of the dilemma where the main character is presented with a, an interesting mystery. And then in the third act, Nicodemus is invited to resolve the mystery by responding to the invitation of Jesus Christ. And though we find several harsh criticisms of the Jewish religious establishment in the Gospels, the Scripture describes Nicodemus as a devout leader, as one who is genuinely seeking divine truth. And as a practicing Pharisee, we can conclude that Nicodemus was religious, politically active, he was educated, he was financially secure, and he was a respected leader. And for his day, Nicodemus had everything the world had to offer, but he was lost. Do you know anybody like that? That seems to have everything they need on this side of glory, but they don't have Jesus. You see, and if they don't have Jesus, what do they have? What did Jesus say? What does it profit a man that he gained the whole world but lose his soul? Yeah. What good is it? Because on judgment day, you can't buy your way into heaven. You can't good your way into heaven. You can't hope your way into heaven. And if you don't have Jesus, you ain't going to heaven. Amen? Can I get a hallelujah out of that? All right. <coughs> if I get too rambunctious, I'll start coughing, so I'll have to stay calm down. My wife's back there going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> she punched me last night. She said, can't you wear your mask? I said, I can't breathe. She kept punching me, so it was fun. I enjoyed it. <clears throat> the Bible says that God has set eternity in our hearts in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 10. The world and the experiences it offers testify of God's glory, but the world can never satisfy that deep desire that's in our soul. I mean, you can accomplish, you can have all you want. You can accomplish all you want and it'll still be lacking. I've met some very wealthy people who are the most unhappy people I've ever been around. And if you have wealth, that seems like you've got everything. Cindy told me she, she bought a lottery ticket and she said, we're going to win $200 million, the Powerball thing. I said, well, baby, what are we going to do with $200 million? She said, well, I don't know, but wouldn't it be fun? I said, yeah, I guess it would. She said, after taxes, if we take the lump sum, we only get $60 million. 
I said, well, that's a shame. I said, I don't think we can make it on 60 million, man. She's trying to remodel her house. And I thought, with 60 million, I'll just buy her another house. Just like she wants it. Wouldn't that be fun? Nah, we'll stay there. Stay there and I'll get some pit bulldogs or something to protect us there. You know. But you didn't have all the world. You didn't have it all. You still come up lacking. If we desire mystery or adventure, the world offers an unlimited supply. But there's only one source that can satisfy the longing in your soul. The philosophers call this desire a God-shaped vacuum that could never be filled with any created thing or person. Only the Creator Himself can fill a heart or a soul made for eternity. And what Melinda said earlier is true. She's given up cigarettes, and so she's shifted over to food. Because anytime you give up something, there's a gap in there that has to be filled. And you'll fill it with something. We all do. People say, I don't have time to go to church. You'll have time to do whatever you need to do. Amen? I don't have time to witness for the Lord. You have time to do whatever you want to do. I don't have time to read the Bible. You have time to do whatever you want to do. I don't have time to bathe. Well, that's obvious with some of you. Okay. Are You My Mother is a great children's book. And the story is about a baby bird that hatches while the mother's out gathering food. And the baby bird does, goes to different animals and even to a tractor. And it asks, Are You My Mother? And I know that's a funny children's story, but there's an eternal principle in this story. And that is that we instinctively know that we are meant for a relationship that's bigger and beyond ourselves. It's an instinctive thing. I had spent a, four days with my granddaughter, Kelsey. We are tuned in, tied down. She's coming to see all, all of us here in another week for spring break, and I am ready. She's ready. 26 years ago, Jack Franklin built a cradle for me, for, for me and Cindy, so we could rock our son Jeff in it, and now we're going to get to rock my granddaughter in that same cradle. That's sentimental, isn't it? And I can't wait. It's going to be great. She'll sleep right here on my chest, and I'll nap with her. We do good together. Misty, Misty came home from work while I was there, and she goes, has she been sleeping on your chest all day? I said, well, not all day. Because <laughs> we're made to experience a relationship. And I just love that little granddaughter. Now, when she's 2 and 12 and 14, I might not love her as much. <laughs> I love her right now. At two months, she's great. Oh, my. We, we were talking. We were, we were talking. We were. Okay, move on. All right. So we, we meet this inquiring man, and then secondly, in verse 3, he's confronted with an intriguing mystery. Jesus responds to his inquiry. Because Nicodemus asks a question. And we've heard the phrase all of our lives, but sometimes we fail to grasp this being born again issue. 
if you're in the Christian church and Church of Christ, you, you tend to want to beat everybody up about the waters of baptism. You want to tell them that you got to get into the water and, you know, there's, some, there's something about that water. I'm going to tell you, folks, don't even go to the water until you get this changed. If you're not ready to change this and this and your forward movement, water's not going to do you any good. You'll go in dry, you'll come out wet, you won't be happy at all. I've met a lot of those Christians, haven't you? Went in dry and came out wet. I mean, it looked like dill pickle juice was in there. Well, they're just angry all the time. But I'm a Christian, by golly. I'll tell you. <laughs> but where's the joy of the Lord, you see? So you got to get that heart changed. You've got to get your heart changed. You don't realize that you're a sinner and going to die in your state. Where you are, if you stay there, you're going to die. What good is it going to do to go to the water? Now, we do connect the water in our churches because it's an important piece of that. But you got to get the heart changed first, number one. But he asks, he says, you've got to be born again. I want to get to heaven. I'll be born again. And there's several illustrations in using the gospel of John to describe eternal life. In addition to being born again, he refers to eternal life as a light, living water, living bread. The terminology is an illustration that communicates a spiritual principle so that Nicodemus could, could understand. And he should know. He should know these as a teacher of Scripture. But the concept of being born again reveals the spiritual principle of unseen reality. Jesus proclaims that a man needs to be born uh, twice, once by water, referring to the physical birth, and a second birth by the Spirit of God. And we all experience a natural birth. You wouldn't be here this morning if you hadn't experienced that. Amen? But if you don't experience the second birth, you will die eternally you have no hope you're born once to die born twice to live how you like that one should have got an amen somewhere come on i can stop and let you come on i listened to a, a little sermon about uh, easter sunday it's friday sunday's coming cindy said don't preach that she said you try to sound like a black preacher and you're not a black preacher I said, but honey, I love the way they say it. He said, she said, well, then play the tape. So, so it was great to hear it again because there is just something about those guys as they preach. Isn't it? You've heard them, haven't you? How those, there's certain preachers that will say it away, and you're going, wow, I need to make a decision. Even though I'm a Christian, been a long time, I need to come to the Lord. But this unseen reality is a spiritual principle. Jesus proclaims that a man needs to be born twice. And that terminology might have been new to Nicodemus, but he was familiar with the biblical teaching that God is spirit. God is not in nature as the pantheists believe. God is greater and transcends nature. Relating to God is not just an academic exercise. It includes the mind, but knowing God is a spiritual experience of the soul. So Jesus directs Nicodemus to consider spiritual issues. And then he reveals the urgent responsibility of that message that he's teaching. He makes perfectly clear what upsets most people in our culture when he declares that one must be born again by the spirit of one true God or a person will not enter the kingdom of God. Dr. Joseph Stoll 
was the former president of Moody Bible College in Chicago. He was asked to participate in a community prayer uh, breakfast shortly after 9-11. He describes in his book, The Trouble with Jesus, the disappointing experience of listening to speakers undersell Jesus and strip him of his rightful claim to supremacy. Stowell accurately describes in this book distinctive claims of Jesus Christ. And I quote, Let's face it, while not exclusive in the wideness of his mercy, Jesus is exclusive in his claim that he is the only solution for our sin problem and the only way to God, and that he is God. Jesus is the central issue that separates me from Hindus, Muslims, Jews, New Age adherents, and the advocates of any other religion. His claims are unique, and without shame, he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. That is the Jesus that you and I serve. He is exclusive. You can't get there any other way. Don't try. Can't buy it. Can't good it. Can't hope it. Can't marry up to it. <laughs> You've got to find Jesus. And that sets us apart. So, not only do we have an, an inquiring man and an intriguing mystery shared, but in verses 5 through 8, we find, we, we find and have found an inspiring message. Jesus then teaching on the exclusive entrance into heaven. It's, he, he tells us that it's not an arrogant claim. It is a bold and it's, it's an inspiring message. <coughs> and the message, first of all, is available to all people. It's available to all. Jesus would explain a few verses later in the text by saying that eternal life is available to whoever believes in him. We read it, didn't we? John 3, 16. Well, we were supposed to read it. We didn't, did we? Good. <coughs> that, was my, that was my fault. But all of you know that verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, quote it for me while I take a drink of water. God so loved the world. <coughs> and we tend to say it like we memorize it. Most of us did it in King James, didn't we? <laughs> Must not be anything wrong with King James Bible. It's all right. It's all right. Okay? But it's available to all. Jesus is the ultimate equal opportunity employer. He joyfully accepts all races, men and women, rich and poor, young and old. He saves the sin-ridden and the self-righteous. Amen? And that might fit some of you today. Not only is being born again available to all, it's accomplished by God. A person does not birth himself. The use of the metaphor, being born again, communicates the biblical truth that without Christ we are dead in our sin and with no hope of saving ourselves. We need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The Greek verb in this verse is translated, that's translated born, is an aorist passive. And it's a fancy way of saying that something happened to us. 
God is the one performing the action upon the person who is born again. The aorist tense of the verb also communicates that a person does not have to get saved multiple times. You only need to be born again once. That's all. Often, aorist verbs are translated in the past tense. Uh, you may have heard a country preacher talk about being born again. You got to be born again. It's poor English grammar, but it's great theology. Because you see, God accomplishes our salvation. He performs a creative work to give us a new spiritual life, a one-time, good-for-eternity entrance in to the kingdom of God. The worship team comes to help me close. I want you to consider the encounter of Nicodemus with Jesus. How would you describe your spiritual condition? What kind of shape are you in spiritually? Are you even interested in spiritual things? Is that even, does that even factor into the equation? Are you questioning these exclusive claims of Christ? Are you willing to honestly consider the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ? It's an incredible encounter that we've read. And it illustrates that we all need to be born again. The Bible says, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and the Bible also says if you stay in sin, you will die. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible also says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so it's up to you today. The world will never meet the deepest hunger of your soul. So I'm asking you today, will you accept God's offer? Will you come and be a part of what God has in store for you for eternity? It's up to you. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation as the kiddos are coming in. Let's all be standing. Corey, lead us. God's tugging your heart. Respond.